supposed to be when he finally went home uh, to be with the Lord. But uh, the travels of Paul, there's probably been books written on that topic and so forth, but you think in the day, he did take ships, and he was shipwrecked uh, on occasion, so he traveled that way. But he, he walked, uh, and I know they had what they call the Roman road system, but you try and, you try and add together what it must, the, the total miles that he traveled in his ministry. Uh, going up to Damascus, out to Arabia, back to Damascus, down to Jerusalem, uh, up to Tarsus, uh, over to um, Antioch, uh, the church in Antioch, and then going out from there. And, and it, this is all on foot. foot it, it, he's hoofing it. And I'm thinking, you know, we drive around here and there, and oh, we got to travel over here to, oh man, it took a whole day to get here and stuff like that. And, and here he. We, we just don't, put it this way, if God can provide the strength and mercy for, uh, in that first century to do all that, it's nothing for us. And, and so really as, as we travel, we, and you, you folks, this is kind of a quote unquote rural area. Our, ours is a metro area, but we still have people coming in from, from a long ways, and I know that's what's true here. And it, it's not just, you know, a drive across town to go to church and, uh, hey, let's have 20 minutes of uh, singing and uh, maybe 15-minute devotional and then let's get on with our day and stuff like that. It, it takes something. But Paul went through that. And people, hey, if, if you're in Miletus and there's people that haven't heard you, maybe ever or for a while, and they're, they're willing to stay there past midnight. I mean, that's a long time. And, and this is Paul again. Well, we'll get into that because he's got a crown that, that uh, concerns that. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll get into our uh, last message here. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you again. We, kept, we keep going back to Hebrews 10. That's so great salvation in every respect. Father, uh, you provided what we, weren't, we didn't know we needed. We weren't looking for it. We didn't desire it. And, Father, you worked uh, not only in the provision but in causing us to be aware and be desirous, even craving of it by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for uh, being able to uh, experience this so great salvation uh, by entering in by the gospel of uh, concerning Jesus Christ, the power, of, uh, your power unto salvation, uh, now living for this short time. James calls it just a vapor, and it is. It goes fast. This life goes fast. And so, Father... Uh, as those of us here today are in the family uh, and uh, we're, we're growing in the family, we're living in the family, help us to realize the brevity and the, and the greatness and the wonderfulness of brevity. We're not here forever. You know, we'd like to be here uh, many times and just stay here, but Father, it's far better in, in, in the few, uh, coming days. And the way to get there is all provided uh, by you. And so as daunting as it may seem, Father, impress upon us that it's okay. You got everything covered. And we thank you because of Christ. Amen. We've been looking at an overview of, tempt, uh, of, of our salvation. And uh, we've seen how we get into the family by that good news of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It's, it's mentioned in other places. It's not uh, in detail. 
uh, with the, the simplicity and clarity of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Jesus Christ being God in flesh. Uh, he came, took on flesh, and when he was about 33, 33 and a half years of age, he allowed himself to be put on a Roman cross, and there he gave his life for the sins of the whole world. Back to Adam, forward to the last person that will ever be born on this planet. It was for everybody. And nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. So then uh, the, uh, the next step is not only providing salvation, pay, payment for our sins, but then uh, causing a person or people to become aware of that from the day of Pentecost till the rapture. This is what's happening. The Holy Spirit is convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We've looked at that. Uh, a person, when, when they experience conviction of the Spirit, they are convicted or they're convinced is really what the word is emphasizing. They're convinced and uh, they respond, but they re even respond by an ability that God gives them to respond, and that's the ability to believe this incredible uh, provision that it can be applied to you and your sins, have, which have been paid for, it can actually be applied to your account, and you can be sin-free permanently. Uh, and, and then we get into the Christian life, you still have a sin nature, well, that's about, well, but what he did on the cross paid for all of that, so it's all good. That's, it's going to be worked out. But we're here for a moment, we're here for a vapor, and uh, we look around among ourselves, and uh, I used to be uh, the young people or the kids in a group and those old people who are, who are 50. <laughs> oh, yes, for those days. And, but you know what? This is great. It's great. And you look at it in reality. We're not staying here. We are not staying here. God has left us here for a purpose, and that's what our present tense salvation is about. Learn what it's about. Learn the provisions, and uh, then... Uh, grow in them, know more, and, and, and when you do that, you begin seeing scriptures here and scriptures here, and you then you, you see how they fit together, and you can start seeing the whole thing line up. Instead of just a verse here and a verse here, you see how all these passages, they fit, and this is in your growth. But the, the purpose for growing is then to demonstrate. Uh, and, and Steve mentioned that. By what, what, what's the word for demonstration? John 1, 4... Uh, John 10, I'm trying to remember all the light verses, uh, <laughs> but we're light. Uh, Philippians, Philippians uh, 3, we are points of light. George H.W. Bush, I think he was a thousand points of light. Well, believers really are, and that's what God has left us here for, is to grow and to be that source of demonstration of Christ living in us. And so when we are spiritual among ourselves, I can see Christ in you folks. And I go, why are you doing that way? Well, I, I've got it figured out by now to my stage of uh, spiritual maturity. Well, you're, you, you've got Christ dwelling in you as a believer and you're, you've gotten out of the way uh, by the, the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit, you're spiritual, and I can see your indwelling Savior. I can see his character. I can see the, his quality of life. And uh, by the way, I, I think that verse in John 13, uh, by this shall all men know, uh, yes, it's believers. But I think also unbelievers in this respect, well, put it this way in two respects. Believers 
or unbelievers who will who will the, the Holy Spirit is going to convict or is convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. My mom was a young mother. My dad was in the military over in England during World War II, and she stayed with her in-laws out in central South Dakota uh, for a time period, and there were a couple of missionary ladies, single missionary ladies, that were ministering in my grandparents' uh, local church there in Highmore, South Dakota, and it was kind of like joy clubs or something like that. But they were staying in my grandparents' home. My mom, with her two, my two older sisters, they were with her little girls at that time. And my mom said this, what I saw in those two ladies' lives and how they interacted, she says, I wanted that. I wanted that. So there is eternal life being demonstrated between two believers and an unbeliever. And, and it's because of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are unbelievers that see your eternal life, that see your Christian life, and they, they reject it. They don't care about it, or that it's unimportant, what, however. But it, it's, this, what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians? Uh, chapter 4, uh, or three, yeah, 4, uh, 2, uh, 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 a savor of life unto life and death unto death. And we don't know who's competent for these things. <laughs> I'm not, I just... If I have opportunity, I, get, I, I, I explain, I, I live, and I back it up by how I live, and then I me a message, this is the saving message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and I don't know how, how it's, uh, it's going to fall on people's ears, and I don't have to. That's not my, it's not my job. Now, we finally get to the future tense of salvation, or what we call also the third installment. Remember, you get, when you believe the gospel, you've qualified for the whole shooting match, but you don't get it all at one time. You get into the family, and then it's a matter of growing in the family. And finally, in the future at the rapture, we will finally get everything we, uh, that God has provided for us in the future. And, and that, for us today, is motivation. Because that's going to happen, no matter what happens and how difficult things can become. And there are believers in North Korea believe it or not. I mean, uh, the voice of the martyrs, they talk about uh, uh, the radio program, they talk about uh, believers in some of the most unlikely places. They say, oh, they couldn't have, a, be, have anybody who's saved there. God's hand, Scripture says, God's hand is not short that he cannot save. And, and some of the testimonies that have occurred in the last 2,000 years are some of the most unlikely scenarios that you imagine. So God has people in places that are very, very difficult. And uh, we've got it pretty easy. We've had it pretty easy in the Bleaver, Beaver Cleaver America that we've grown up in and so forth. Things can change awful fast. And, uh, but, you know, we just take it a day at a time and just keep looking to uh, our Savior as we take step by step with in mind the encouragement of how it's going to end. I know how it's going to end. No matter how difficult it can be here, I know how it's going to be concluded. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Um, we, we've got 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 19, and 20. If in this life only we are having hope of Christ, or in Christ we are of all men. Uh, in fact, I, I crossed out the word most because I, I was looking at that later, and uh, uh, the interlinear said it's not most, the, the, the uh, ultimate, the superlative, it's the comparative, it's more. Uh, technical, I know, I'm just throwing out something, but it, it's actually, 
It's true. That was in the, the, the word pitiable. They're more pitiable. Oh, there's a lot of people to be pitied in this life. But if Christians only have hope and expectation of uh, having a, 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 a relief in the realm of your conscience and of your life here while you're living here physically on earth, if that's it, yes, we are more pitiable than most uh, people out there. So. If in this life only having hope in Christ, we're, we're of all uh, men more pitiable. But now Christ is risen out from dead ones, a first fruit of them that have fallen asleep. So as we say here as we look ahead to the future and final installment of our salvation, we want to look at three uh, pieces of, of uh, evidence about what's happening. These questions, how do we arrive at glory, the glorification? Secondly, what changes will we experience uh, in our makeup uh, when glorified and what we will do after our glorification? That third question is kind of, uh, we, we kind of touched on the edges in Sunday school this morning, is the what ifs. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at the solid uh, evidence from scripture, what will be. First of all, two ways of arriving at the third installment of salvation. Now we all know the rapture and that's in there, that, that's, that's B, but the first one we're gonna look at is the one we don't like to look at and that's death, that's death. I want you to uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter three, uh, verse 20, what do we have, 21 through 23, let's look at that. Uh, Paul, is, um, Paul is mentioning the fact that, that uh, there are divisions there's, there's work of the flesh of, of divisiveness that uh, they've been, uh, have succumbed to, and so they uh, divided up into groups. I'm of Steve, I'm of Tim, uh, I'm of Mark, right? Whatever, they had three teachers there that they were lining up under. And, and, and Paul emphasizes we're all one. We're all one together. And then he says this at the end, uh, reading from verse 21. Therefore let no man boast in men, for all things are yours. Um, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, don't line up behind one personality. One personality of those guys, they might be a little more like your personality and because of that, that's why you like them a little better or something along that line. But they're all for your benefit whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, and then he says, or the world system. The world system is Satan's. But this is what it says in chapter seven. Use it, don't just go hide because Satan is the one who has developed it and energizes this world system. Use it in a limited fashion to be able to do. You know, it's interesting, all of this technology we have here, around here, uh, you know how the world, they get lost in it. Uh, the world system is designed by Satan to be uh, an anesthetizer. Am I getting that right? Anest it anesthetizes. <laughs> it puts you to sleep. <laughs> That's what the world, it's designed so you don't look at the end picture. Death. I mean, you, you look at, at, at Genesis chapter 5. There's 10 generations mentioned there from Adam to Noah, and you add up, the, the do the math, and I think it's like 
50 years, something like that, between uh, the uh, creation, Adam's beginning, and the death of Noah, 10 dead generations. Do you know in those 10 generations that seven of those individuals lived at least 900 years? Methuselah living 969 years. But the commonality they had after each one of those 10 generations, and he died, and he died. I, I mentioned this at, a, at a, mem a memorial for Believer one time. I said, the problem with, uh, and I, I mentioned Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra uh, is his daughter, Nancy. And I, I'll throw this out here. I don't know why I do this, because probably many of you don't know. She had, she had a song named, These Boots Are Made For Walking. Okay, some of you nod, so that tells you how old you are. <laughs> Nancy Sinatra asked her dad on, her eight, on his 80th birthday, Dad, what would you like for your birthday? You know what his response was? I want to see my next birthday. You know what the problem is? Genesis 5 tells us there's never enough birthdays. There's never enough birthdays. That's not the answer. That's not the solution to have another birthday, just to live longer. And so let's move on here, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world system, or life, physical life, or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. There's uh, the, the, the lineage there. We, we belong to, uh, to uh, God through Christ, and then all of these things are for our benefit. They're, they're designed for our benefit. And one of those things there is death. Death belongs to the New Testament believer. It's yours. It's one of the two ways we're going to go home. Do you know that dying or that death is not a problem? I, I have this pro a promise here, and it's not a death isn't a problem. You know, you know where the, the kind of the difficulty comes in? The process up to that point. That's where the problem comes in. Uh, you have friends, we, I was just telling Steve, we have a, a, a fellow, uh, uh, he attended, I don't think he graduated uh, from uh, seminary, uh, Dennis Carter. And Dennis Carter has now been put on hospice care because he has, uh, he's, he's, he's been in poor health for a while. He would get on Sunday nights in our uh, go to meeting. Uh, my brother has the, the, the Bible study and, and Dennis would get on and he'd, they'd visit before and they'd visit after and it was really good. He lives down in California and yet we touch base with him every Sunday night that way in Oregon. Well, his uh, health is to the point it's he's experiencing that experience before this gift. And here again, I said in Sunday school this morning, when I say this, I, I want to make a caveat. Don't think, and don't grab, this is your, death is yours as a believer, but don't think that I, I can use it as my get out of jail free card, so to speak. That is, I'll use it when things get so tough in my life. There are believers who commit suicide. And I know that's been a question in Christendom about if you commit suicide, you, you, you lost your salvation or you never were saved or anything. No, Christian can do anything anybody else does because they still have a sin nature. Um, so death belongs to you. Now watch this verse. Let's look at another one. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, verse 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, 
Uh, he also himself, this is Jesus Christ, took part of the same in order that through death he might, it says destroy, it's not obliterate uh, or anything like that. This word destroy means to uh, make inoperative. It doesn't, it's still there, but it, it just doesn't function. It is rendered ineffective. That through death, Christ's death, he would render ineffective him that had the uh, power, the grasp, the, the exercise of physical death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. When Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead, guess who has authority over death? God has always had authority, but in the Old Testament era, Satan was the one who had direct authority. So as, as God would allow Satan, Satan would, would be the one who could exercise it. But after Christ died and rose from the dead, and that's why he came, is to, what caused death? <coughs> what caused death? For the wages of sin is death, sin. It's, it's sin causes death. Uh, Christ paid for sin. He paid for all sin. So that he now has, is the one who has the authority. And so it says in First Thessalonians chapter, did I write this down here? No, but I know it from the top of my head so far. First uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, uh, where it says those who die in the Lord. Well, it says in, but it's actually that preposition, epsilon nu, it's one of the most common prepositions in, in the New Testament. It can be translated as a locator, in, or as an uh, instrumental uh, idea of power, by. It, we're, we're, we don't die in the Lord, we die by means of the Lord. Why? Because he has the authority. And what is, what is the promise in uh, 1, Thessalonians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Death belongs to who now? All these things are yours, and one of them is death. Death is yours. So uh, we, we, we want to look at Paul's temporary experience of physical death by his stoning at Lystra. We want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the reason we're here is because Paul in this experience is going to differentiate between a place called paradise and a place called uh, the third heaven. Two different places. And I want to tell you right now, the reason why we need to make that differentiation and we come here is because this place, paradise, wasn't always at this location where we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It wasn't always there. You go back into the Old Testament, uh, and by the way, the gospel era and the four gospels are written under the old uh, covenant time and, and, and uh, uh, the old uh, law covenant. Um, when people died, they went... To, if they were a believer, they went to this place called paradise. But paradise wasn't up there, it was down. In fact, we're going to see, I'll tell you this, and then we'll, we'll look at the passages. There, the Old Testament place is called Sheol. Every person in the Old Testament era, uh, from, the, from Adam up to the uh, day of Pentecost, people that died, went to Sheol, believers and unbelievers. In the New Testament, that word Sheol is translated with the word Hades. And we usually think of hell. Uh, better 
the idea of hell comes from another word, Gehenna. That's a permanent location for the lost. But a lot of times we, we think of Hades as, well, that's only where bad people go. That's where everybody went in the Old Testament. But here's the thing. There's three levels to this uh, Hades, or Greek, the Old Testament word Sheol. There's three, three levels. And uh, David said he was going to make his bed in Sheol. And David was a what? He was an Old Testament believer. In, uh, toward the, in the last chapters of Genesis, uh, Jacob, whose uh, um, son Joseph was supposedly killed by a wild animal, He's, uh, because of that, he said he would go down, down into Sheol mourning. There were unbelievable, and it's interesting, you get into Ezekiel or so forth, and it tells about these, these big conflagrations. Steve, you probably have these, these passages memorized. Of all these, the slaughter of, and it names these nations, and the dead went down, and, and I, I forget the, the Hebrew term, but it's like a shaft down into Sheol of all these unbelievers and these uh, unbelieving nations and so forth. So you have, you have this place where we're going to see one of these places, one of the three places is called paradise. And later we see in 2 Corinthians 12, where we're going to look first, that it's up to the edge of the third heaven. You go, boy, I had a pastor when I talked about this one time, said, I don't uh, agree with that. I, that doesn't make sense. And I know what, where he was coming from. He, we didn't have time to talk about it. But he, he saw that down as part of Sheol. Well, now it's up here. Well, if you just take uh, 2 Corinthians 12, that's where paradise is. That's true. But it, it was taken there. 2 Corinthians 12, we see paradise up here next to the third heaven. In other passages, we see it down here. Well, which is it? And remember that the answer for are we saved, being saved, or will we saved? The answer is yes. Both are true, but it's the timing. The timing. So uh, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these six verses. 2 Corinthians. Yeah, did I say first? Second. Second Corinthians chapter 12. It's, expe it's expedient for me, doubtless, to glory or to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And the re reason Paul says that is because there are false uh, apostles in the, that he mentions in the previous chapter. They're uh, of Satan. They're, they're uh, messengers of Satan. They, they try and... Uh, Satan energizes them and tries to use them to waylay true believers. And Paul wants to say, the, the things that I say are authoritative. Their message isn't. And I want to prove or demonstrate my authority. But I don't want to mention everything supernatural that's happened to me. I would come to visions and revelations. And he's going to tell one thing that happened to him and yet he doesn't even identi uh, identify himself uh, uh, directly there. We, we, can, we can see that it's talking about him, but he doesn't put his name there because he doesn't want to boast about himself. 
the, 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 I think it's the, the last thing it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, of who we are in Christ, and it goes on in that litany, and it says, in order that he who boasts, let him boast where? In the Lord. That's my boast. It's who he is. No matter how he's used me, Paul. Paul, the great Paul, and, uh, and all the apostle, and all the things he's done. It's not about him. And that's what he wants to emphasize. So he says, I, I knew a man, verse 2 of chapter 12, I knew a man in Christ, there's a, he's a believer, about 14 years ago. And uh, if you just use your, uh, if you have a Bible that has a center column and it has uh, the uh, dates of when these letters are written and so forth, or different events, you can compare uh, the center column here, it says about 8060, and then you go back to that event at Lystra in Acts chapter 14. And I'm, I'm not sure I did it the other day. I don't think it's exactly 14, but we're, we're talking, in fact, he says, uh, uh, in fact, that word above isn't really, well, we're not going to get into all the detail. It's just that it, it, it matches. Let's just say that. It matches that what he says about this person matches that event where he experienced a stoning. And remember what we said the other day about stoning, when Jews stoned somebody? Church history tells us they did a job. They didn't leave it undone. And so he says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, there, that tells us there's three heavens, and we're going to very quickly look at that. But before we do, I want to emphasize one more time, I really am convinced this is the Apostle Paul. He's telling about this experience, and he, when he begins to tell it, he's, he tells it in a way that only the person it, it, it happened to, he could tell it that way. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body or out the body, I don't know. Well, if it happened to somebody else, I mean, it, it, it has the, the, the strong flavor of it happened to me. And it tells us this, whether in the body or out of the body, when death occurs, physical death occurs, the moment it occurs, it is so smooth. The indication here of this man in Christ, what happened to him, I don't know if I was physically alive or not. It was so smooth. And, and, and then he goes ahead and, and repeats that again in verse 3, I knew a man. And why is he doing that? It's just like he's recalling it himself. As I look back, I, I, the event of, of departing from this body, it was just so smooth. I couldn't tell whether it was I in the body or out of the body. But he has, I don't want to call it an out-of-body experience. Well, it was an out-of-body experience because his body was down there at Lystra and the, the disciples were standing around it, uh, we read, or at least we, we referred to that. I don't think we read it. Anyway, he's, uh, they're standing around, his body's down there, and he knows this man who's experiencing these things up there. Now let's look at his experience. He says, um, such an one, at the end of verse two, was caught up to the third heaven. And then at the uh, verse four, how that, such, uh, the, how that he was caught up into paradise. Notice the differences. Up to the third heaven, that heos is up to the edge. It's close. It's touching. Up to the edge of the third heaven. But he's into an, another location called paradise. 
And we understand from that combination that this place, paradise, is not heaven. And a lot of believers come here and they, they look at this and they, well, paradise is heaven. No, it's not. Two different places. He was up to the edge of the third heaven, but into paradise. So two different places. Now, we wanted to quickly identify the third heaven. Uh, and we're not going to turn here uh, for, for time. You, you've got them here. The first heaven is the atmosphere. In, uh, a revelate, or excuse me, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, it talks about the birds of the Hashemayim. It's just plural of the heavens. And by the way, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew plural, you have a Hebrew singular, a Hebrew dual form, and it's, it would be used like of your eyes, ears, anything that there's pairs of, you'd have it in that Hebrew form. And then when it, it uses, uh, the Hebrew has the, the uh, plural form, where our English would say two or more, Hebrew says the, their Hebrew, the Hebrew uh, num, uh, plural is three or more, so at least three. And uh, that word Hashemayim, the birds of the heavens, okay? So we have at least three heavens. Uh, in uh, Genesis 1.20, it says the birds of the heavens. Uh, we have the same thing in Matthew chapter 13, birds of the heavens. Where do birds fly? Uh, in the atmosphere. They don't fly where stars exist. And then the, the second heaven of the three is where stars exist. We have that in Genesis chapter 22, promise made to Abraham. Your uh, offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars of the heavens, again, of the heavens. But you have to decide, do stars exist where birds fly? Do birds fly where stars exist? But if they're both related to a, a heaven where you have at least three choices, which are they? So you simply make the, the deduction, well, birds fly in the atmosphere. It's actually in the lower atmosphere. And then that finally dissipates, and they have the stratosphere, and they have all of these until you're finally what they call outer space. But you get out far enough away from Earth, and now you're in uh, to, quote, unquote, outer space. And that's the place where stars exist. So we have two heavens identified by birds and stars. And then we have this third heaven, and that is mentioned only here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, the third heaven. The third heaven, remember when we were talking about uh, Satan from Isaiah chapter 14, and what do you do with Ezekiel? Multiply 14 times 2, you get 28. <laughs> okay, those are the two chapters about Satan. But in the one in Isaiah 14, and in verse 13, there it, it tells Lucifer's desires, and one of his, I, I think it's five desires he, he expresses there in, in Isaiah 14. In verse 13, he says he wants uh, to raise his throne. His throne was on earth. He wants to raise his throne above the stars of the heaven heavens in the sides of the north. Sides of the north. We have that same phrase, sides of the north, concerning a heavenly city mentioned in Psalm uh, chapter 48, verses 1 and 2. Say, we've got a guy in our, in a, 
we just put him into a nurse, not, not a nursing home, a group home, uh, Scott Parker. And when Scott first came to church and, and uh, he wanted to choose a song, uh, when we have song choices, he, he would want to choose a song nobody heard of, so he had to sing it to us. You know what the song was? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the beauty of his holiness, beautiful situation, the joy of the whole earth. And it, 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 it was just singing through those two verses. Now he heard that somewhere in some other group. That's the first time I was exposed to that. But in that, that uh, section of scripture there, it again uses that phrase, and I think it's only for the second time that it's found, in the sides of the north. Now the Hebrew word sides, uh, we have sides of buildings and so on and forth. The, the Hebrew word has the literal understanding of the most extreme part, the most extreme part. So that's how we understand what the sides of the north is. The most extreme part of the created universe is, and north, is in the celestial north. Now it's not talking about polar north, so don't, don't confuse our directions here on earth with the directions related to the universe. Celestial north. You know where celestial north is? This summer, I don't know if it's, I think because of the, the, uh, the axis, tilt of the axis, when we tilt back in the summertime, you'll be able to see the, the Big Dipper very clearly. And uh, there's three stars that make up the handle and four stars that make up the pan. It's the outer two stars of the pan that are on the opposite side of the handle. You put those two together as, as, a, as a sight, and you look up from there, and you'll see a star, the most prominent star you'll see. In fact, I don't think there's anything else around there. And you know what that star is? Polaris, the North Star. The sides of the North, where the third heaven is, is up there. When you think of believers of the church era that have died, and we think, oh, they went to heaven. And for us, it's just, heaven is just this wonderful place. I don't know where it's at, I don't know, but it's in an actual location. And it's up there in the north, at the edge of the universe, on the outside edge. Because things that happen there are, are described as eternal. It's an eternal quality of existence. It's not a, a length of existence. It's a kind of existence. It's a type of existence. That, that word eternal can, has implications of both. And that's what, what it's emphasizing. It's outside of time. We get time because our, our earth uh, uh, rotates on its axis 24 hours a day. And we get a year because it uh, revolves around the sun. There's movement within the created universe. Outside of the universe, there is no movement. There is no time. That's where the third heaven is, and every time a believer leaves this life, they go, and we're gonna see in a moment from another verse, they go, how fast do they go to be with the Lord? Well, let's say it now, we've got it in here, but first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be, away, uh, uh, to be Away from home from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Okay, tell me how many times the bus stops between earth and heaven on that trip. 
It only gives us two. It says you leave here and you end up there. Boy, that uh, NASA would like to try and get that jet propulsion idea down. Uh, people have called this the speed of thought. I think that's a good way of expressing it. Speed of thought from Earth to heaven. So um, there's these three heavens. Now let's turn to, um, so, and we're making a distinction yet because we don't go to paradise uh, as New Testament believers. We want to prove that though. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And uh, okay, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm Tim. What time am, uh, are we uh, going? What time are we going home? <laughs> I wish I knew. I've got that long. <laughs> Call it what? You, you name it. It's all. Probably about one forty. Okay. All right. One forty-five. Okay. So, so we're actually talking about what, 3.40? I don't know. Okay, you people start nodding off or starting getting up and going and getting your second cup of coffee. I know that it's time to close in prayer. Okay, okay, here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 19. The rich man and Lazarus, this isn't a parable. A parable never used uh, specific names. This is an actual account that Jesus is, is giving. Uh, there was a certain rich man, he doesn't name him, which was clothed, with pur uh, clothed in, fine, in purple and in fine linen and uh, fed sumptuously every day. And there was a, a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs from, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And um, got a wrinkle in my page here. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And uh, in, it says hell, but this is the word Hades, Hades. In Hades, he lift up his eyes, uh, being in torments, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now the reason this place is called Abraham's bosom, God has a, a, appointed Abraham as the one to comfort Old Testament believers when they go there. What's the comfort? How long are we going to be here? How long? Well, you know, uh, uh, it tells us in, in Matthew uh, 16 that when Christ would establish the church that the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. That is, where, where Old Testament believers went, they went down there and Hades had gates, even for paradise, and no one got out of there. But we're going to see how, how Jesus changed that when he took captivity captive in, in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at the verse. But right now, people don't go to, to uh, Hades. They don't go to paradise. They don't go to Abraham's bosom because those gates have been opened because Jesus said in Matthew 16, the gates of Hades will, will not uh, uh, prevail or prevent anything uh, from the church because the church doesn't go there. That's, that's, that's how that's going to be fulfilled. So it goes on to say here, uh, in verse 24, and he, the rich man, uh, cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the uh, tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, child, 
Remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. That was just the, the condition of their uh, estate on earth. It has nothing to do with their, their salvation or lack of salvation. It was just what they were experiencing while on earth. And then it says, uh, but well, it, it, because it doesn't ex explain that, the reason he's in torment is because he has failed to believe the object that God had for his salvation. And the reason that Lazarus is in uh, being comforted by Abraham in Abraham's bosom is because the, uh, Lazarus did believe what was required by God for salvation. Remember in Jesus' day, John 8, 24, what was the object of salvation? Christ died for my sins and rose bodily from the dead. They didn't know that. Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 18 gives us a verse that in three different ways with the, with the apostles, they didn't know what he was talking about when, when he told about his, his coming death and resurrection. They, it was, they were blind to it. So we know they being the 11 being believers that wasn't what saved them. What saved them back then? What was the object that they needed direct faith toward? John chapter 8, verse 24 said this, Unless you believe that I am, I'm deity, I'm self-existent, I'm the one in, in Exodus chapter 3 in the burning bush, when I identified, one of the ways I identified myself to uh, Moses was, you tell the children of Israel when you, I'm sending you back there, you tell them I am has sent you. I am that I am. I'm self-existent. Jesus in John chapter 8 uh, said, I am. Unless you believe I am, when you die, you will still die in your sins. What does that verse tell us? You put it together, think, think it through. If you believe that he was God, you wouldn't die in your sins. You'd be saved from your sins. Is that the gospel for today? Just believe Jesus is deity. No, because more has happened since the time that Jesus mentioned that. Before his death and resurrection, at the time he was on earth, that was the object for salvation. He's deity, and that man who's walking around, he's more than a man. In fact, remember when he asked the people in, in Matthew chapter 16, who do men say that I am? Oh, you're Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets come back from the dead. And then he says, uh, well, okay, that's what men say. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And when he used that term son of God, he was expressing that he was deity. Jesus was expressing his deity. Now, some things have happened since then. So our object of salvation isn't just he's deity. That's part of it. He's deity who has now died and been raised bodily from the dead. And that's the object for our initial salvation, for our, the, the forgiveness of sins. So this fella is in torment, and uh, uh, Abraham is telling him, uh, well, you, you experience these, uh, these niceties in your life, and Lazarus didn't. Now, that wasn't the reason why you're there and he's here, because he was a poor man go to heaven and rich men go to hell. That isn't what he's saying. But that's an in indicator of, of how this guy lived. He lived for his riches. I will build uh, more. I'll tear down my barns. I'll, I'll, I'll build greater. And, I'll, and you fool, this night your life shall be required. Then whose things shall those be? That's this kind of guy here. That's
that's this, this, this kind of uh, uh, man who had riches who did not believe what uh, he was required to believe to be saved. It goes on to say in verse 27, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that you would send him, or excuse me, verse 26, besides all this, there's a great uh, gulf between us, Abraham uh, tells him, so that they which would pass from there to here cannot, uh, neither they uh, pass to us who would come from there. He had asked, just well, let have Lazarus dip his finger in water and put him on my, put uh, to put it on my tongue just for a little relief. Can you imagine what he was experiencing if a drop of water was was considered significant in any way? He was just asking for a little bit, just a little bit of relief. And Abraham says, "There's a great gulf between us." So what we have is a place of torment a place of comfort and a great gulf between. Now the verse that I skipped over so far, uh, we've got it here, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 22, it tells us that there's a fire that burns to the lowest sheol. So in the Old Testament scriptures, again, lowest superlative, that means you have to have low, lower, and lowest, okay? So the, there's a fire that burns in Lois' shield. What was this fellow experiencing? A flame. A flame that didn't consume uh, his, his existence. And he had a tongue, but it didn't burn up his tongue uh, or, or anything. And, uh, so he was there with, with a, a body. We're going to get to that. This is a demonstration of an intermediate body. When people die, they're not cast with a ghost floating around. They have an intermediate body. Both believers and non-believers have intermediate bodies. Um, there, there are three shields mentioned in uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, verse 22. The lowest shield is uh, where there's a fire. What we just saw in Luke chapter 16, there was three sections. They're the same three sections of shield. Abraham's bosom was one of the sections in Sheol, but that was for believers, and that was a place of comfort and rest. Then a great gulf that separated those that were believers in that section from those that were in the place called the place of torment where there was fire. Now, what did I say when Jacob died? He said he was going to go where? When uh, he continued to mourn in going where? down to Sheol, the same place where David said he was going to make his bed. And right away, because it's in the earth, we think right away, well, it has to be spirit essence or something like that, because how can you have... Let me ask you this. Do you know what's down in the center of the earth? Let me ask you this. Do scientists know what are at the depths of the various parts of the ocean? Do you know that one of the most unexplored places, I think it's even greater than what they have known so far about the universe, is the ocean depths. We're just talking about land that's covered with water, let alone going below the mantle. Now they know different things about it, but they don't know all the things. And they certainly don't know all that, that's uh, in, in uh, 4,000 uh, miles below us. Because this globe, what is it, 8,000 miles in, in diameter? 4,000 uh, uh, miles would be the center. 
they say it's made up of nickel or something. And then I've heard uh, sometime later, well, no, they, they don't even think that's right now. So their ideas are, are all, all over the board and there's nothing definitive because they have never demonstrated any of this. All I'm saying is this, God's word says Sheol is in the earth. It actually comes out to be the center of the earth and we're gonna see that in a little bit about something Jesus said. It's in the center of the earth, but it's a place where solid objects, intermediate bodies can exist with whatever else is down there. And I don't know, and no one else really knows, at the very most, and here we're getting into uh, physical phenomena and so forth, uh, is it solid and solid at the same time? Well, we're gonna see an example that there is a solid object that can go through another solid object. And that's already happened 2,000 years ago. So let's, let's get on with, with this idea. We're, I know we're, we're fleshing this out and, and uh, kind of dragging our feet. Paul was caught up to the edge of the third heaven. Okay, so there's three heavens. It's up there in the north. Specifically, he says that he, he, when he uh, reiterates this, he says he was caught up into uh, paradise, into paradise, which is one of the three sections of Sheol. Now, under point two B, sub point B, it says Christ spent three days and three nights in paradise, which was in the heart of the earth. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus said this, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The heart, speaking of the center section, in the heart of the earth. What have we come to realize so far? Sheol is down. It's got three sections. Jesus was going to go to one of those sections. He's going to go into the heart of the earth. Which section? He's on the cross. There's two uh, thieves on either side. Uh, they both, they both uh, cast aspersions on him early in the six hours that Jesus was hanging on the cross. But sometime after both of them were reviling him, one of them had a change of heart. And he said to Jesus, he says, when you go into your kingdom, he says, remember me. And Jesus says, I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Now this is the Paul, this is what Paul said is up to the third heaven. But Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, where was he going? Was he going to go up to paradise? He was going down into the center of the earth, the heart of the earth. So there's a change here. He's going to paradise, but paradise isn't the same place where Paul uh, uh, identified it as being. The answer comes in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Let me start with verse 8. Wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, he that ascended into heaven, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Matthew 12, 40, the heart of the earth, the heart of the earth. 
verse 10, he that descended into the lower parts of the earth is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens. How many heavens are there in the scripture? There's three. By the way, the number three is the, the, of heavens is the only place you're going to find that. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You're never going to find one that says there's four, five, six, seven, eleven, whatever these other uh, groups like to fantasize with. I don't know how they arrive at the numbers they do. I think it's through uh, some level of human philosophizing. But there's only three scripturally, only three heavens. It's up there in the north. And uh, when Jesus ascended, one of his ascensions was he went up all the way through the heavens. Now, why did he do that? In fact, would you know that if this verse wasn't here? Would you know that he ascended? He said, well, he went back to the Father. He said he was going to go back to the Father. Well, that would be where, where he came from, and, and we had identified that finally with the third heaven. But if it didn't say, if this verse didn't say he went up above there, we wouldn't know it. So the, the, the proof there isn't for us primarily. The proof here is for spirit beings who can't go to an area where only uh, the spirit of, of God, the spirit of deity exists. And Jesus Christ connected to that spirit, of, uh, that spirit essence of deity and a human body. In that human body passes up through the third heaven, through all heavens. And so what, what is the, the demonstration to? All spirit beings are seeing, because he joined him, his person to a human body, it did not change him, it did not diminish his deity one bit. He is still completely God, as he was before, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, his condescension in taking on a human body. He's just the same in the realm of his deity. But here it tells us, going back here to... Uh, uh, Verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. What captives have escaped Sheol? Well, the gates of Sheol were, were not letting anybody out until the resurrection. And Jesus Christ. And can you imagine uh, Abraham comforting all those Old Testament believers? I can't tell you exactly when, but it's going to happen. And, and when the promised one uh, completes what, what, what God has for, uh, prophesied in, in the Old Testament actually comes to fruition, uh, we're going to be leaving. Something generally in that area that he was comforting them. It, this is not permanent. We are going to be taken out of here. And Ephesians 4, 8 is telling you the escape plan or the, actually the, the activity of escape. He takes captivity captive. So now you come to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 1 through 4, and you see that he's caught up to the third heaven, but into paradise. Where are Old Testament believers? Where is David? Where is Moses? Where is Joseph? Where is Jacob? Where is Adam? They're all there in paradise. Now they don't get to go into the third heaven. God is going to glorify them, and Brother Steve's been telling us that they're going to have eternal life, Daniel chapter 12. But it, they get it after we get it. After we get eternal life. So now we have this verse we already mentioned. Uh, New Testament believers go into the third heaven. Uh, 
Second Corinthians uh, 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And uh, uh, the Lord is in the third heaven, so that's where he's at home at now that he's ascended back on high. And that's where believers go instantly. No stops in between. Third point uh, under, uh, what, oh, un, un, under uh, physical death. Third point. New Testament believers are provided intermediate bodies in heaven while waiting for their resurrected bodies at the rapture. Um, Steve mentioned this, and again, for time, I don't think I'm going to, well, no, let's do that, because this, this, is, this is important to see at least a little bit of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in the first two verses. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, and when, it, when our earthly house, this body, it's called a house, it's what we reside in, is called a tent, it's emphasizing its temporalness. You don't go out camping in your tent and, and that's where you're going to live unless you're on the streets of Portland <laughs> or Seattle or Los Angeles or a lot of other places and you're living in a tent. And even then, uh, you're going to get swept up now and then you've got to get a new tent or they'll put you in a hotel or something like that. But what the emphasis here is a tent is, is temporal and that's what Paul is using this for. <coughs> he describes your, your body as something temporal. We know that if our earthly house of this tent were... Uh, dissolved or literally taken down, we have a building of God and house, not handmade, eternal in the heavens. For this we groan earnestly desired. Well, I'm not going to get into verse 2 because now that's talking about the rapture and the permanency of our final resurrected body or, or glorified body if we haven't died at the rapture. But verse 1, we have, if this, if this body's taken down, if I die, if I experience the, the, the uh, Genesis chapter 5 experience of all those people between, in, in that era, that it names by name and so forth, and I, what happened to them happens to me, and it will. It will. What happens after that? If that happens, if this tent is taken down, we have a building uh, out from God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I picture it this way. It's not a handmade house. Uh, remember how Adam's body was made? It says that God took the earth and formed it. So he got his modeling clay together, uh, the, the dirt, and he formed the body, and then he breathed life into it and became a living being. This, this, this body isn't that made that way. So the implication, even though it doesn't use the word, it's, it comes out of nothing. It's created. It's not handmade. And so this is how I picture it, and bear with me. You die. You go from earth. The moment you leave, your body stays here, and you go up to heaven immediately, and a spirit being, or, or the Lord, looks into his closet, and he says, this is the one I've made for you. I, I've, I've, I've uh, provided for you. I have, it's not handmade. I've, but here it is. It takes... So here's your body. I, I'm just being kind of crazy, pictorial, cartoonish, and so forth, but you get the idea. There is a body prepared so that you are not bodyless. You have a body. And we could see that in uh, 
the uh, account of uh, Lazarus and the rich man. He, Lazarus had a finger that could be dipped in water and it could be touched on a tongue that the rich man had. And there's other, by the way, we're gonna say this. Tim, do you have the Rich uh, Schaefer's booklet with you? Yes. Uh, it isn't around here? Okay, we've got a little booklet. We've got three copies. I wanna send one home with Steve for sure. So it goes up that way. This is from Rich Schaefer, Richard Schaefer, Dr. Schaefer's son. That doesn't make it right because he's the son of Dr. Schaefer. It's, it's got scripture. It's about, and Tim mentioned this, about 20, 30 pages. Uh, and, and it gives you the information of what we're talking about here. And you know what the title is? The comforting, the comforting hope of an intermediate body. You don't have to worry. I don't care what your condition is. I don't care if, it's, if you, you die quickly in a car accident or, or you, you faint dead away in a, of a heart condition or whatever it is or it's, or it's lingering and it takes time. And When death happens, smooth transition and you have an intermediate body and you're with the Lord and this is what the condition is. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 when he was in his first Roman imprisonment, he says, I don't know if I'm getting out of this. I don't know if I'm going to be executed. And then he, he he says something else, I really don't think that's going to happen, at least at this time. It's more profitable to be with you, but you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather be present with the Lord. And you know how he describes it there in Philippians 1? Being present with the Lord is... My father-in-law had this little ditty, and he, he heard this from somewhere else, and I think that's why I heard it from him. Good, better, best. Good, better, best. Put it to the test the good gets better and the better gets best. There you have three degrees there, but you know what Paul does? He slips in a fourth one. Our experience here is good. I really am not saying, Lord, me next. You know, I want to get out of here. Everything's going fine. It's not a problem right now with my circumstance, but I just, no, we're not standing in line to do that. It's good. But he's, Paul says to be with the Lord isn't simply better than good. He says it's Far better. Far better. You know why he doesn't use the superlative best? What's the ultimate of best in our experience of salvation? It's the rapture. And by the way, I'm just going to say this, and then we've got to keep running here. Here in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, were taken down, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have this uh, uh, situation uh, before us. Um, it's, it's slipping my mind. I, there was something important I wanted to point out here now in my 71-year-old mind is, is uh, let's see if I can grab it again. Um, maybe you can find it. Something significant here we haven't mentioned yet. I was going to mention, I was thinking of the fact that it's a third class condition. So it, it brings up the element that we might not die. We might go into rapture. And then but that, if we do die, yep. we already have a body in the So it's kind of cool. And I'm getting a mental, it wasn't that, but there's something else here. But that's great, Josh. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, well, another thing it says is that we won't be naked, so we're not going to be some spirit, you know, without a body. 
that's true and, and yeah absolutely uh, which 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 emphasizes this uh, intermediate body by the way when Rick Schaefer goes through it he gives other proofs and one of the proofs is what happened to uh, King Saul the night before he died he went to the witch of Endor because uh, of his disobedience, the Holy Spirit, and he knew the Spirit was taken from him. The Spirit wasn't in him, the Spirit came upon those people and could leave sovereignly, but uh, uh, he uh, uh, wanted information. He went to the Witch of Endor, and so she did her incantations uh, to summon Samuel, and you know what surprised the socks off of her? He actually came up. <laughs> she had never seen that before. He was actually there. And then Samuel, get, he says, why have you disturbed me from my, I've been resting. That's what that place is for, paradise or, or the uh, Abraham's bosom. It's a place of rest. He says, have you disturbed my rest? But he says, Tom tomorrow about this time, you and your son are going to be here too. Or maybe it was sons, plural. You and your sons are going to be here too, which said that they were Old Testament believers. But uh, anyway, there's a lot, there's different proofs of an intermediate body an intermediate body. I know this is an issue that uh, a lot of Christian, born-again believers, they've heard these things. I don't know if they don't pursue it, don't put the scriptures back and forth, hang on to an idea of simplicity. When I die, I can go to heaven, that's it. I don't care about knowing any detail. Well, there's a comforting hope when you know the detail. All right. Um, so uh, the far better uh, is... Uh, there and then the last point we have here, uh, Roman numeral five, under uh, uh, two ways uh, by physical death, the way by physical death to, to be with the Lord. Uh, when, and, and Steve mentioned this, so I'm not going to uh, say any more than this: that when we're in the Lord's presence, in Christ's presence, in this intermediate time, in this intermediate time, that uh, Christ. First, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 is it? He dwells in unapproachable light. Uh, remember what uh, Stephen saw on uh, Acts chapter 7 before he's uh, stoned to death by these Jewish uh, haters of Christ? He says, I, I, see, I see him. I see. He saw Christ stand out from the right, from the, uh, right hand of God. Why did he stand out from it? Because right next, if he was remained in there, he would remain in this light garment that no man can see into. Saul of Tarsus on his way up to persecute Christians, uh, Saul of Tarsus, on his way up to Damascus to persecute Christians, Christ appears to him in his light garment and it tells us in several different ways in the book of Acts, he saw a light above the brightness of the noonday sun, and it blinded him. Jesus Christ dwells in that garment of light. And it's unapproachable, 1 Timothy 6. In other words, Paul is there in his presence, but he can't see him because of this light garment. And as Steve also pointed out in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that when we are changed, when we are like Christ, it says we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 
He dwells in unapproachable light. Nobody can approach him. Paul, Peter, James, none of those saints who are there. But in the future, there's going to be that face-to-face. -face. Remember the song? Face-to-face -face, uh, with Christ my Savior, face-to-face -to, -face to see and know. Jim, you could probably sing it beautifully for us. I, yeah, yeah. It just, yeah, and there's different songs about, about beholding the Lord Jesus, right? Uh, by the way, I, uh, now, now it's slipping again. I, I had it for, for a moment again, what I was going to say about that, that first verse. Oh, this is it. This is it. This house made with hands, eternal. It's, it's eternal because it's in, it's outside of time. But that it is not your permanent body. Why is that? Because of the fact in so many places in scripture, there's going to be an event on earth. And what is that event on earth for those who died? Resurrection. And what is being raised? The body. So if a body is going to be raised and that body that goes into the ground is raised and glorified, well, what's this, what's this house not handmade? That's eternal in the heavens. It's not eternal because it's permanent. It's eternal because where it's at. And so don't confuse this with the glorified body. The glorified body, if you die, your body has to be raised from the dead. And I don't care, folks. In fact, I think in our will. When I was, when we were young, our kids were little. I don't know if all our kids were here yet. I don't know if John was born. Anyway, we finally were talked into it by a friend who was in, a Christian friend who was involved in finance. And so you need a will. You know, I didn't want a will. You know why? I don't wanna, didn't want to think about that I was going to die. And yet I, I thought about, you know what, the Lord knows what he's doing, da, 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 da. So we went to a lawyer and, and got a will made. You know what else we put in that will? And you can correct me, Mom, your memory is better than mine. That, that we had, deter, uh, had decided that if we died, we'd be cremated. <coughs> okay. So not the good old-fashioned, uh, bur bur bury the body in the field of Machpelah, uh, along with Abraham and all the, the other, uh, take my, Joseph's bones are there, put Mark's bones next there for the resurrection. My God can, can raise dust. In fact, I'll tell you this, Roger Fosmark, who was here, I don't know, three times ago, and I was here with him. Uh, he's with the Lord. When he went home to be with the Lord, his body was cremated, and his, his uh, desire of him and his family was that his ashes would be scared, uh, scattered in the Willamette uh, uh, Mount Hood area. Yeah, up there. God can collect what, wherever it's scattered. You talk about an act of power, watch this. <laughs> Resurrection. It's going to be tremendous. I don't care. You can, be, you can die at sea, uh, you know, uh, I mean, fall overboard drown, your body's lost, the fish eat it up and everything else, God will collect it. It's going to be a major dust storm because there's a lot of bodies coming. <laughs> <laughs> and here again, don't nail me down to all the specifics. Dust storm, I like that scenario, but I don't know if that's exactly how it's going to happen. Okay, maybe, we'll see. Well, you might be right, Jim, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But he's going to do it. That's all I need to know. Is he's go how he's going to, but he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And you can be assured of that. Um, 
Okay, for sake of time, let's uh, run here. Um, I think that's all I okay. Um, and certainly, then we know by means of the rapture, and we have the two passages, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 18, and that's the one we'll go to. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 54 also is a, a rapture section, and there it, it mentions it as a mystery. The Old Testament saints didn't know there was going to be a rapture. There's nothing in the Old Testament scriptures about a rapture because it wasn't for them. It was for a new group that was going to be developed after the, the uh, death and resurrection of Christ and his ascension to heaven and on the day of Pentecost when the, the church began. In fact, did I get that right, Steve? It was not born. Is that, what, is that how I'm not supposed to say it? It was not born? It, oh, okay. Okay. So when, when, I'm just going to say when the church started, is that okay? Okay, okay, when the church started on the day of Pentecost. Uh, now we've got new information. And remember, once uh, the information in a mystery is given, it's no longer a what? No longer a mystery. Okay, we, we keep referring it, but when you refer to it, it's only because it's a mystery, because prior to its re revelation, it was not known. But once it's given, and Paul gives it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But turning to... First uh, Thessalonians and chapter 4, let's just read that. It's not that long, and it's always good to be refreshed in this because as we have a sign, I think I've told some of you, on, on the doorway to our meeting house, our church building, the building where the church meets in there in Tiger, we have that uh, uh, routed, nice little sign, perhaps today. And uh, I've, I've said this myself, I've heard others say it, you know, the Lord could come even before we're done meeting today. And you know what? I'll tell you this, that's more true this afternoon than it was all those other times that that's been said. <laughs> it is, it is, it's more true now. We're getting closer. That's as much as I know. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. For since we believe, first class condition, since it's true, assuming it's true, and it is, that we believe that Jesus died and rose again. By the way, there's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 again, okay? Or, or a lot of it. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them also which sleep and change that in to buy. It's telling you how it was done, not where this is happening. Those who sleep by Jesus, and by the way, why do they sleep by Jesus? Because he died and took the authority away, that, that, that exercise of power from Satan, and he's the one for believers. He's the one for, for believers who, quote-unquote, turns the key of our life. And so it says, even so them which sleep by means of Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not uh, prevent or actually precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's the shout of the Lord with the voice of the archangel. That applies to a, a truth in uh, Jude. Was it verse 9 we have here? Wherever I got it down here. Yes, Jude 9. Uh, uh, Michael, by the way, there's only one archangel. Catholic Church has how many archangels? I'm not sure. 
but arch, arch, it means chief. It is an arch, arch angels or arches angel or something. It's not plural. Michael is, by the way, there's only two spirit beings that are mentioned by name. What's the other name? Gabriel. Gabriel, an angel. Yeah, yeah. We've got a little guy in our church building, our, new, our, our newest little, little person, and his name is Gabriel. So, um, actually, I'm not. I got that wrong, Mom. It's his, his brother is the newest one. His name is Isaac. Oh, sorry about that. No, Gabriel's about three years old now. Yeah. So anyway, two angels. Michael, who is the archangel, when he was disputing the body of Moses in uh, that uh, Jude mentions in his little epistle, uh, he had he told Satan, who had, an, had a purpose of trying to get Moses' body uh, to use it to mislead the children of Israel in a way that he was, and we can kind of think of how that might have been, but it, he wanted the body, and uh, God sent Michael, the one and only archangel, to dispute him. Now, Michael, being an archangel, was lower in creative order than the greatest of all created beings. So you know how he put Satan down in this dispute? He says, the Lord rebuked you. He sent me to take this body. I'm taking it because he gave me authority. Now you wanna argue with somebody, you go back to the throne room, like you have been doing, and see how that argument turns out. <laughs> I'm taking the body, and uh, he disposed of it uh, up there uh, on that mountain. Um, so the, the archangel, is, is what he did there in, in Jude, is, is demonstrating what there's not going to be in, any uh, spirit being interference with this movement of these people who've been raised from the dead. Their bodies have been glorified. The saints that are still alive are changed in the moment in, in the twinkling of an eye and of their ascension to be caught up to the Lord, to be seized, to be harpazoed uh, up, up to the Lord. By the way, there's a good medical term for, uh, for our death or in place of our death. Instead of dying, we're going to have a seizure. <laughs> the rapture will be seized. Uh, the Lord shall descend from the heaven with a shout. This is, this is uh, John chapter 5. All that are in the grave, there's an hour coming when they'll hear his voice. But it says an hour, it's not the same time. It's a quality of hour. This happens at, at uh, different intervals when certain ones are called up at a certain time. Who is the first one that has ever risen from the dead never to return again? Jesus Christ. What group is the second group that will uh, rise from the dead never to return, never to die again? Us, the church. Who's the third group that's going to rise from the dead never to die again? Two witnesses. What? Two witnesses. Okay. And they'll never, okay, uh, the two witnesses, that's good. And then, the, then the, uh, when Christ comes back, then there's going to be the resurrection of Old Testament saints and of tribulation saints who died. All who died during the tribulation and in the Old Testament era. Now, who's left over? I call them the leftovers. <laughs> the unbelievers. And that's at the end of the tribulation. You know what? Christ was raised, you know what it says, a little preposition? Christ, Christ was raised how in relationship to everybody else? He was raised out from, ek, out from among dead ones. 
When the church is raised, we're going to be raised out from among dead ones. When uh, uh, the Old Testament saints in tribulation, they're, they're resurrected out from among dead ones. When the unbelievers are raised, they're raised, period. <laughs> there, there's nothing left over to raise them out of. They're the, le they're the ones that have always been there. They will experience the last level of But this is the second aspect. By the way, just say this here again. We could go to Revelation chapter 20, and there's a talks about a first resurrection and a second resurrection. And how many resurrections did I just infer to you? We have Christ, we have the church, we have Old Testament and, and trip saints, and then we have unbelief. That's four. And yet in Revelation chapter 20, it says there's how many resurrections? How do you, how do you rectify that? Oh, I heard the word. Kind. Kind of resurrection. There's a first kind of resurrection. How many times is there an aspect of the first kind of resurrection? Three times. What is that kind? It's an out from resurrection. That's one kind. That's the first kind. What's the second kind? Leftovers. Yeah. Every, leftovers. Yeah, it sounds like something you're taking out of your refrigerator. Oh, by the way, point one, I, I got into uh, these things here, and, and you've known them, so I, I've been kind of preaching to the choir, which actually it's not preaching to the choir, it's simply, this is choir rehearsal. Uh, how many times do we need to go over these things? Well, I read through the Bible once. How many times should I read through the Bible? I, I go to the gym, my wife does this too, and we have uh, the ESV on, on an audio on our phones. And so as we're working out on the different machines and so forth, and or when I'm up at our church property uh, picking up sticks and raking leaves and just I'm up by myself and I got this on and I'm going through the scriptures. And it can be the Old Testament, I'm in the New Testament now, but I tell you, I can't get enough of it. I've heard it before, I've heard it many times, every time I hear it. And by the way, just by listening, I'm working, I'm doing stuff and I'm listening. And also it's like the Holy Spirit goes, did you hear that, Mark? And there's something in there that I never really focused on before. It is so precious and so refreshing to hear it again, to hear the whole thing again. It's not a one-off. It's not meant to be a one-off. It's, it's continually feeding on, on the word. Um, point number one under the rapture of the church. Let's just touch that and we'll move on. When is it going to happen? It's going to happen, we've, we've emphasized this, I want to say it one more time, when the church is numerically complete. God knows he's taking out of the nations of people for his name, and when that number comes up, we're done. And I don't know. Uh, and as we said this, it was kind of an emphasis back in the 1970s, 60s, 70s, 80s in there. Let's win our, our, our city for Christ. Let's win our county for Christ. Let's win our state for Christ. Let's win the world for Christ. And then Christ will come back. Well, it sounds good to save everybody, but here's the thing. Not everybody that God had planned on taking out of the nations was even alive, even born. Back in the 70s. Say 1970 to today, that's 53 years ago. There's a lot of people that weren't, weren't saved that are saved now. They didn't even exist back then. God's timing 
He knows when and how, and it's perfect. So when that number is arrived, uh, that's when this uh, rapture is com complete. And then also 2 Peter 3.15, uh, God has, uh, uh, is long-suffering um, in, in relationship to salvation. And part of salvation is not simply getting into the family. It's doing those works of Ephesians 2.10 for the family. And as we said, I think I said it yesterday, how many works does it take that last person who comes to know Christ? One. It could just be one. And then that verse would be qualified. That verse would be qualified. So uh, let's go on to the next uh, point. We can kind of, uh, this is real fast because we've already covered this. And the changes in our hum human makeup, we've, we've looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 yesterday. We're made up of a body, container, and two immaterial parts, soul and spirit. Uh, our body is the second, well, let's start with number C. Spirit is what we're saved, that element that part of us is saved right now. We're saved in the realm of our spirit, John 3, 6. Um, our body is the next to experience salvation, and that's at the rapture. And here again, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when we see him, we'll be like him, for we, we, sh we, we, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. The reason we have John chapter 20, verse 26 and 27, remember the second, it was eight days after the resurrection. It was the, the second resurrection morning uh, that Thomas came into the upper room where the gang had met the first week, but he wasn't there. And, and he says, yeah, you've been talking about this, and you said you've seen him. Okay, I don't want to just see him. I want to touch. I want Because I, I know there were the nails that went in. I want to see if it's really his body that you're talking about, the one you saw. He just gets done saying that. And Jesus walks in. The door's being shut. The window's being shut. So number one, that type of body that we're going to have is a material body. Because when Jesus came in, he, came, he comes up to Thomas and he says, touch and see that it's uh, the nails. And touch the, my side where the spear was thrust into me. And see that it's really me and not cast for the ghost, not a spirit. I'm not a spirit. I'm, I'm flesh and blood. And yet, what did this flesh and blood body, resurrected body, just do to get in there? Let me in! No, he just comes in. Everything's locked up. It's a, it's a material body, and, and here's the thing. The physics of it, no, nobody can explain this. To, it's just science fiction to our quote-unquote scientists or anybody. Because what's going to happen there, and God can do this, and he's going to do this, is because the resurrected body Christ has, that's a type of resurrected body we're going to have, that I don't have to walk around to get into that room over there through that door. I can just walk right through here. And when you see me on the other side, I'm not covered in sheetrock dust and, and, and insulation or anything else. It, it's two solid material objects that do not affect each other because it's that quality of a body that we're going to be resurrected with. And then, the last thing that's saved, 1, John, or 1 Peter 1, 9, is that soul, our soul, and I like to say this, I probably said it already, how do you wake up in the morning? What's your default experience in the morning? I don't feel like getting up. I feel like staying in bed longer. 
Your soul thinks emotionally. It feels. Whenever you say, well, I feel that this or that, that's really an indication. Now, it may not completely come across that accurately all the time, but when you use the word feel, it's expressing your soul. I, this is my emotions about this. If you're really using the language correctly and you're analyzing something logically and so forth, you'd use the word think. I think, this is what I think about this subject or that subject. But when we say, well, I feel this, you, we, we kind of cross terms with that. But actually, feeling is according to our, our emotions. And when our soul was saved, we're not going to think emotionally anymore. Our, and we saw this yesterday in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, that, uh, that the, the, the body is sown, a natural body or a body according, adapted to the soul. It's dominated by the soul. You wake up in the morning, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work. I'd rather get back on my video game that I was so enthralled with last night. And I want to pick up where I left off because I was at such an excitement. Yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. Our glorified body, our spirit, is because of this change, this glorification, my spirit where I'm saved in that realm is going to dominate my soul, my emotions. I'll still have emotions, but I'll have good emotions. And there'll always be good emotions. And the emotions won't dominate. They'll be there, but they, they, won't, they won't dominate. Point three, revealed activities after the third installment of salvation. Let's go through this very quickly. There's, we have a, a five crowns that the New Testament believer uh, properly using the indwelling life of Christ has these uh, various life opportunities to live your life uh, where, you have, where you exercise control, self-control, and this ekratia, control over self, is one of the nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit. When you're spiritual and you're exercising self-control, and this is how you do it. You go, self-control, um, and we can get into the, the drugs and alcohol and the sex and, and those, those things that we think of that, oh, our flesh wants to do that. We just got to control. Okay, it's, it's, it's involving that too, but it's involving proper stuff. Don't call me from five to seven because I plan on resting and and then having a meal. So if you've got anything, just keep it to yourself. I don't care what kind of emergency, just stuff it and wait. Do I have a right to rest? Do I have a right to eat? Do, is, is that something that, that's, that's a sin? That's unrighteous? But if there's an opportunity or a need that will interrupt my preferred schedule. I can use this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and Paul did it all the time. Look at, look at the, the litany of what Paul went through, the suffering, uh, not shipwrecked, uh, uh, beatings, uh, scourgings, uh, sleepless nights. I've got to have my sleep. And yet he was at Miletus until after midnight. And then I think, didn't it say, he, he, did he preach until morning? He wasn't going to be there again. And so he made a special effort to minister to those people that he didn't, he realized he wasn't going to see a long time. So he took the time, even though it ate into his well-being and, and I'm sure personal desires. That's self-control. 
There's a crown of incorruption when you exercise this self-control, this, this aspect of it. Now, some have said this, well, how many times do I have to do that? Doesn't say. So my takeaway is if you do it once as a believer, you qualify. You say, you mean I can exercise self-control and, and go out and do something in love for the brethren and it's uh, costing me something and, and then I can live carnally after that and uh, uh, God would still give me a, the crown of uh, incorruption. Yeah, that's grace. And you know, if when you realize that, you go, well, I don't want to be a one-off on this. This, this I, I want this to be more uh, a continual in my life. It's not that you're perfect. Uh, what's the, the song? I, I was trying to think of it the other way. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining day by day. Uh, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet. There's a title on higher ground. That is an exercise of daily Christian living, of moving in that direction. Not perfection, but moving in that direction. And you can qualify for the crown of righteousness or incorruption. Crown of rejoicing, very quickly mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Anytime you're in, involved, it's related to a person's salvation. Better get your, your gospel tracts out and, uh, you know, you go fill up at, uh, at a gas station. Uh, or go to a store. Just make sure it's not the new uh, hardware store or the grocery store, because those people are already believers. <laughs> you don't need to do it there. But, oh, well, well, maybe they have a lot of people that are working there that need it. Anyway, we, we think of it, it's got to be, I've got to be telling somebody. That's part of it. But you know, when, when we left Tigard, we had a 96-year-old, she's the oldest one in our little group, 96-year-old sister in the Lord, Peggy Jenkins. And she's done this before, and the Lord has used her in this. She says, could you pray for me and, what's her name, Linda? Diane. Diane, her friend, uh, Christian friend. We're going to be taking so-and-so out to lunch, and we've talked to her before, but we'd like to uh, talk to her again to, about, about the gospel. What'd she ask us to do? Mark, could you come there and tell her the gospel for us? No. She said, pray for us. When you're involved on any level, in, a, in the realm of someone else's salvation, you qualify for the crown of rejoicing. Crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8, the last thing Timothy wrote, or, uh, Timothy wrote, Paul wrote in his life before uh, he lost his head there in that uh, Roman uh, catacombs. Uh, crown of rejoicing, exercising agape love toward believers in light of Christ, because he's appearing. Let's see. I, and I've, I've known this, and I've probably experienced this in my life. I will, I want to do these certain things for the Lord, but first I, I, I've got this bucket list, and I want to go here, and I want to do that, and I want to go and, and buy one of these, and so on and so forth. And then I should have the time now to finally, uh, uh, finally do what, what, what the Lord wants. He comes. And in, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, those, those opportunities are gone. Here's the thing, folks. Whenever a window of opportunity passes by, and, and when is that happening? Ephesians 2, uh, 10. He's pre-planned them. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 
They're there all the time, all day long, those opportunities. Have I missed those opportunities? Ask my wife, have I missed those opportunities? <laughs> Certainly, I have. But if I'm realizing more consistently what, who my Savior is and what he's done and what I have in my salvation and what I'm going to get in just a little while, that's what I'm going to be constant. I want to please him. And doing that, uh, uh, loving and, and exercising this uh, activity, expressing uh, uh, agape love toward the believers, uh, crown of righteousness. And then uh, the crown of life mentioned in James 1.12. It's also re uh, referred to in Revelation 2.10. Uh, it's, the only, it's the only crown that has two references in two different uh, uh, books. The using of eternal life and resurrection life together when holding up under temptation. That's the, the context to that crown of life. When you have victory over your sin nature by using your salvation, you qualify for the crown of life. And then crown of glory is, is one crown exclusively in 1 Peter 5, 2, for pastor teachers who shepherd well the flock of God. And you can see what the qualifications are there. Then very quickly, we're going to be ruling over nations. And by the way, I didn't see this until somebody brought this to my attention recently. And I want, I want you to look at this. Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. Revelation 2, 26 and 27. These are promises to the overcomer. You've, after each of the seven churches, you find promises that are given to the overcomer. The overcomer is every believer. Every believer qualifies as an overcomer because you're in the one who has overcome the world system. And it says here in uh, 26 and 27, and he that overcomes and keeps my works, guards my works, unto the end to him will I give authority over the nations. So this is uh, a Christ giving this authority, but notice what it says in verse 27, and he, who's the he? The one that overcomes. The one that overcomes is the he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I receive from my father. I receive this authority from my father, and I'm giving it to every born-again believer and when they're glorified, and they're going to be ruling the nations with the rod of iron. I always looked at this before, and I guess I was, I was oblivious, couldn't read uh, the uh, subject, uh, who the subject was and who the object was. It's God giving this authority to the overcomer. Now, he's, he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords, so this is delegated authority to his bride. So he's the head cheese. I'm simply helping carry this out, but I'll, I'll do it righteously because I'm going to be perfected. I'm going to be righteous as my Savior is righteous. Uh, in other words, my, the way God sees me righteous in Christ and the way I might act correctly from time to time right now, that position is going to be permanentized and I'm going to be glorified righteously. So I, in this aspect, I'll, I'll be judging, you'll be judging the nations righteously, ruling over them righteously. Uh, the uh, uh, third thing here, we'll be judging men and angels. We see that in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 2 and 3. Um, 
So in some way, at the great white throne, when all men are judged, this is, this is after the thousand years of doing this governmental duty of, rot, of ruling with a rod of iron. At the end of the great white throne, now, um, when all men, all unbelievers that are raised from the dead, they're judged, and the unbelieving angels, the angels that sinned, that uh, followed uh, Lucifer in his rebellion, we will be involved. I don't think I'm going to be the one who's going to say, I got it from here. All right. I've got the record right. I don't know how I'm going to be. But I'm going to be with the one who has the authority, who's doing the judging, and whether he, how he calls on us, or you, it, it, but it tells us that we're going to be involved in judging men and angels. And then the last thing we have here in 1 Thessalonians 4.18 and so shall we, after the rapture, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together uh, in the air, and so shall we ever be W-I-T-H. But when you say W-I-T-H with in the English, you haven't said it all, because in the Greek it says it in, with two different words. One word is, I'm, I'm with you folks. I'm with you folks. You're there, and I'm here. We're in the same room. I'm with my old friend in the pulpit here. This is a close association. That's the word, soon, not meta, but soon, where we're, and I'd like to say this, and I don't think I'm going to step on any toes because I'm, I'm just saying this kind of in jest. When Jesus Christ raptures and glorifies the church, at, at the rapture, when we're glorified, we are going to be with him forever. And I've used this description. You can like it or not. Jesus ain't no truck driving husband. <laughs> you get the gist? Our, our fourth child, uh, our son, uh, had a job. I don't know how he, he, anyway, he, he's got ability I never knew he had. And I, whatever. He got this job with a consulting company in South Carolina. And they would send him around to different places. One place they sent him was to uh, Manhattan, New York, and I think that they believe the company was Mark Jacobs, is a kind of a high-end company, and he was a consultant in their IT department, and he was living in Oregon, and he would fly to uh, uh, Manhattan about every two weeks home, two weeks there, or two weeks home, one week there. I forget what it was, but it's it kind of a, a rugged schedule for for a, a married dad and so forth. They had four, in fact. They had three little kids. I think I got this right. And on one trip there, he took the whole family while he's at work. They're in their hotel, and they're down there. What's what's uh, A.O. Schwartz? Remember the uh, movie Big? Big? Where Tom Hanks is playing the piano on the floor? My daughter-in-law, with her little kids, and one in the oven, as they say, it's wintertime, they got their coats on, and she's dragging them around New York City, and they go into the toy store with A.O. Schwartz at the time. I thought, she's brave. <laughs> but they sent him later on to another job in Ventura, California, and if you saw the shirt I was wearing the other day, it said Patagonia. It's one of those kind of cliquish type, high-end things. By the way, I would never have bought that shirt. <laughs> except I got it for 70% off. <laughs> My name is
is Conrad, and I'm a German, and I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> I've, I've said this before. My dad would give us a nickel and tell us not to spend it in one place. And I grew up with that mentality, and that's why when, when, when our kids were little, a big night out was, was uh, McDonald's drive through And uh, so there you, there you go. Anyway, uh, John finally got this job down there at Patagonia in Ventura, and this time he said, and these places always wanted to hire him for their personal companies. They did make an agreement with his consulting company, and I don't know what the arrangements were, but Patagonia hired him. He's their full-time head of their IT department, and he moved the whole family down there. So now when we visit them, they're all together, and he's home every night. Now, he does have to make some trips once in a while, but it's very rarely compared to when we're raptured, we're going to be personally with Christ. Now, don't count little his indwelling, because he's with me right now, but he's going to be with me face to face, touch to touch. I will be able to. Now, you say, well, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of, of believers and so forth. Hey, if I see him at the front, I'm there. Maybe a little later, I'll get to move to the front. I don't know. All I know is wherever he is, we are collectively as the church. And we're going to do things together, whatever it is. It doesn't explain all the detail, but we're going to be with him. So, how should we live in the light of our three tenses or installments of salvation? Number one, know how we got here. We're saved from the penalty of sin and saved unto glory by the initial gospel. First, Romans 1.16 and obviously 1 Corinthians 15.1-4. That's, that's how you get into the family. And don't confuse it with the second uh, uh, tense of salvation and, and confuse them and say that they have to go together. Once you're in the family, now you begin to grow. Secondly, know why you're still here. You're to grow in your salvation knowledge, understanding, and experience. To show forth the life and character of my indwelling Savior by walking daily in those works which he has pre-planned for me. And then thirdly, know and be encouraged today by the ultimate outcome of my salvation. Glorification in body, soul, and spirit completely by his grace. And so... We have two benedictions that I'd like to read, as, and then we'll pray. Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, verses 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory by means of the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, or actually literally all the generations of the ages, it is so. Amen. And then Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this in that little one-page, one one-chapter letter. Verses 24 and 25, the last two verses, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior is glory and majesty dominion and power both now and into all <coughs> ages Amen Paul and Jude
and you and me saying the very same thing. We're going to in the future, and we should be recognizing that and living in the light of that today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the ability to be able to sit as long as we have, and Father, for the Spirit to help us pay attention, uh, even the speakers to be focused uh, in, in all the need that, that I know I need in, in relating these good things that we've been studying and looking at. And Father, not simply to know it now, but to be refreshed by it tomorrow morning through the week. Uh, possibly picking up a, a, a paper or, or just by, by remembering that your salvation is absolutely complete and we're experiencing it in an installment fashion and there's more to come. And yet, we don't want to be overly focused on tomorrow to the neglect of today. And so we don't want to be uh, prophecy hounds, so that's all we're looking at. We want to be looking at how we're to live today and how you provided for us to live by you seeing us in your Son with his righteousness, being seated in a place of privilege and position, and then having our spirit joined to his spirit, to your spirit, having possessing or participating in your quality of life and in your nature. Father, thank you. You've given us everything we need. Christ in us and us in Christ. And we thank you for that so great salvation until it's finally completely consummated in that last and final chapter. Thank you, Father.